Hey, and welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion, and I'm a human-centered service design practitioner based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now, today on the show, we have got a very special guest, and that is Dr. Munib Karavidic from Wave Design in Sydney. Now, I met Munib maybe about 10 years ago, okay, when Munib was working for a really large organization in Australia and there was an opportunity there and unfortunately we didn't get to work together at that time but what we do now have we have a decade of stuff to catch up on and Munib has been really busy because after he left that big organization he's gone on to form Wave Design. Now Wave Design is a design-led organization with lots of really interesting people working there so it's a multidisciplinary kind of team if you want and Munib is leading that team. Now, what I really speak about in this episode is I want to peek behind the curtain a little bit and understanding Munib's background and how he sees design evolving over the next decade. So this isn't somebody who's just, you know, dabbled here or there. Munib has given his life to design, okay? He has a proven track record of success and he has methods there as well that are really, that were new to me and I wanted to learn more about them. And we share those, we discuss those openly in this episode. So if you are in this world of change making, or if you're in this world of service design or user experience, this is an episode that I believe will serve you well to listen to it. So Munib is fantastic. I know you're going to love it. So let's jump straight in. Munib, I'm I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Um, Long time admirer. And uh, as we were talking about there before, we actually had a coffee in Sydney it must be close to nine or ten years maybe since since we actually sat down for that coffee but maybe for our listeners um who aren't familiar with your work maybe start off tell them a little bit about yourself where you're from and what you do well it was lovely to um be in your program jerry and i must say that um that i really appreciate the uh, the contribution that you are making to design the world uh, with this uh, program and i think it's very good to, to hear many opinions, many experiences, and many views that people can learn uh, how to make stronger design community in any country. And it's very good, actually, that you do that globally. It's kind of, I really yeah. love that. Well, thank you um, very much. It means a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well done for doing that. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people appreciate that. And thank you for inviting me to, um, to have a chat oh, with you. Good. Some experience. It's all good. As for me, like it, wave design. Wave design. Wave. So, so yeah. Look, I think uh, Wave Design is a design and innovation company in Australia, which is focusing pretty much actually um, helping businesses to um, design new programs, and it doesn't necessarily need to be innovation uh, all the time. Mm. So there are some things that uh, people feel pain points feel some bad experience um, or a product is not functioning well, mm-hmm. we're trying to um, help them and that's our role. And on top of that, uh, we also believe that, you know, to, uh, to be successful in the companies and especially innovation and design program, um, we need to elevate mindset of people who are surrounding those projects. And in order yeah. to do that, you need to build that picture and you need to um, in, include people, involve them in this, in some way, train them to do stuff. And we have this approach where we 
uh, we, we work with subject matter experts. The, our kind of philosophy is that we need to work with people within the organization and that when we finish our work, they can continue doing work. Otherwise, if we don't have a people who will continue the work, well, uh, most of the projects will end up in some drawers or yeah. in the bin and things like that. So this is what we, uh, what we actually um, focus on. And then we see the outcomes. And our clients are saying that the biggest value that we provide is that we actually give confidence to their people. Because people, mm -hmm. their people are actually talking about design and outcomes, not my people, not our wave design people. So, um, yeah, and um, we, we, this is what we help them building these capabilities as well. So yeah. we have a program that we, what we call this learn by doing program where people experience that firsthand how to deliver small uh, uh, solutions for the organization and solve some smaller problem within the organization while yeah. they learn how to apply uh, human-centered design methods and tools. So, yeah, this, this kind of mix of everything. Yeah, you've, you've, got, a, you've got a great mix. As, we, as, a, as we've already discovered, we could speak for hours and you did warn me in, <laughs> in an email saying, oh, I don't think an hour is going to be enough because when me and you start talking, it's going to go on for a little bit. But I remember speaking to you and walking away kind of saying you you were very wise. That's one thing that came out of my mind. I can hear that again from just speaking to you for the last 40 minutes or so. But the bit that struck me was the the deep interest in within the ecosystems of organization to foster entrepreneurship. Okay. That that came through in the conversations we had almost 10 years ago. And what I'm really interested in is why that is interesting to you as a practitioner. So I think, um, you know, when you are, when you are kind of an mm. entrepreneur, so you will have a one man, it can be one band band, or you can have a few people around you making decisions and you are in love with your kind of solutions that you have in mind or yeah. your idea that you have in mind. And then you struggle how to scale this. And, but on the other side, you have all of these aspects what startups don't have. Like, you know, you have an environment already set up systems, uh, infrastructure, market, awareness. And then the question is how you navigate that. And yeah. the challenge here is as we progress with our careers and companies is growing, we actually make our internal knowledge stronger and stronger while understanding outside the world is get, getting weaker and weaker. And that's what we call this um, kind of what to build gap. And the point here is we, we, we kind of starting forcing things that we believe it's right. And even mm -hmm. if we say, uh, look, we, we let's, let's talk to customers. We don't need to because our people, our customers, let's talk to them. But they are not the same. We know. Yeah. And kind of I actually found very interesting and challenging navigating that because we have a different character. We have different behaviors. We have a different leadership styles. And then you need to study people, how they're reacting on some things. And then when based on that understanding of people, you create some certain kind of approach that will actually get uh, win people over and start yeah. actually following what, you, what you've been doing. And the, the biggest kind of, um, the biggest prize for in, an in, entrepreneur is that you can see people are driving that without you being there. 
Yeah, that's kind of very interesting, actually. Very interesting that, you know, then actually this term of entrepreneurship was actually strengthened by Steve Jobs. You know, when he was fired from Apple and then he established Pixar Studio and he came back to Apple and he admitted and saying, hey, I've been kind of constantly an entrepreneur and I didn't adapt to the situation that I was running big company which is yeah. a global company and I still I was still acting like an, an entrepreneur and that's his real challenge for people who are kind of scaling up startups and then mm. he realized that he needs to now uh, navigate stakeholders he needs to navigate people he needs to kind of inspire people to follow him there was much different kind of set of skills and capabilities that people should acquire in order to drive the innovation in large organizations. It's not like, you know, I'm excellent in this and therefore I will drive that entrepreneur. So entrepreneurship, um, when we when we look at it from every organization, do you believe is it something that they should encourage or is it just certain organizations will be better suited to it? Absolutely encouraged. Like, you know, and then, you see, in my view, that's the way for growth. Yeah. So um, they're becoming uh, entrepreneurs and, and uh, even people who are just trying to do stuff is actually yeah. very helpful, even if, if it's mistake, if it's error and things like that. But actually to, um, to get into entrepreneurship, it's not just good enough that you have uh, some enthusiastic people driving that. It needs sure. to be an entire strategy behind that. And then the strategy means how much we are aligned with our overall strategy. And then we don't want actually people to go to reinvent kind of a space shuttle while we are working on some insurance product. So we want actually people to be aligned with, with our mission where we want to go. Yeah. But at the same time, we need to understand what are the frameworks that we work together. What are the methods and tools that we use? What is our commitment in terms of um, funding? How we approve this uh, kind of these projects? There are a set of activities that we need to have in, in, in place before we jump with the hackathons, with the brainstorming sessions and things like that. Yeah. So, and then I walk into organization and people would say, hey, we have thousands of ideas. We don't know what to do with them. Of course you yeah. don't because you, you don't have a process. Don't and sure. then you don't have a situation when you get an idea of what happened after that idea. Yeah. It's like I was speaking to Ofer Yamtov um, on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode, folks, uh, it's available. Um, well worth a listen. But he, we spoke about designers or change makers that are in the organizations at the moment. And they they don't feel that they're making their mark. They don't feel like the dial is moving. And they're banging their heads against the wall. And they want to try something. They want to try and encourage, you know, growth uh, of the the maturity of the organization. His advice was, if you don't get the, the leadership buy-in, um, go somewhere that does value it. Okay, go somewhere that, that really um, makes you feel like you're, you're actually making a difference. But if you can't leave, okay, this is the question I wish I asked Ofer, but if you can't leave those scenarios, okay, because I know some people are tied down, they've got mortgages, they've got situations where maybe there's visas, whatever it is, and they want to try and demonstrate the value. 
They want to try and encourage leadership to take notice. What are the most common blockers that they face, do you see? And how do you get around them? Well, the number one is actually kind of mindset. As I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, because we train leaders in some yeah. certain way how to lead, lead the organization. And when you come with some kind of new concept, a new kind of way of thinking for them. So it's not new here, but when we, we all kind of designers are familiar with this and then they would walk in and comfortable saying, this is how we rule the world. But actually uh, when you start talking and then if people are not comfortable, a lot of them would not admit and say, well, I don't understand this. They would just push back. Yeah. So, and then the best way to do that is to find the way how you make it closer to those people. Yeah. And then as simple as, like, you know, inviting uh, leaders to get into the interviewing process when you go to do the research, for example. And it's kind of, when you structure that in the way when the leaders go and observe what happened, then they, they were really shocked what they heard because they usually live in some isolated world and they don't have a lot of interaction with end users. And then when they hear this first, first kind of hand, they start actually moving but there are a lot of tricks uh, that can do when i was when i was an amp which is for your listener which is the largest at that time was largest uh, life insurance company and superannuation provider in australia so i i actually um because my ceo kind of was traveling around the world every six months because meeting shareholders God, around that's the an world awful job. and then what i what i did actually whenever i figure out that he's the cities mm. that he's going. And I was looking my connections in these cities and then uh, people who are doing design and innovation and or companies who did it in design innovation. And I start connecting them. And he was actually capturing, it was meeting with these people and getting some information. And he would come back to, to Australia and he would talk stories what he heard from these people. So it's yeah. kind of, it, it, you know, when I teach, when I teach entrepreneurship, and I, you know, I, I put it as a bell curve, like, you know, and in the organization and the, and the, on the right hand side, you have a, you have a knowledge kind of experts in design innovation. Then you have a champions who are following those knowledge and experts. Mm -hmm. Then you have a people who are what I call the fence seaters. And they were not sure, will they actually go with, uh, with the kind yeah. of champions or they will go and the last group is naysayers. And then, yeah. you know, you have a lot of these naysayers at the beginning. So, and then the job of the, anybody in designer or mainly head of design is actually to make sure that first you actually move these fence seaters into the camp of champions. And then yeah. the naysayers will start actually going and become kind of fence seaters and they will start actually following. So yeah. kind of when we started doing this, I remember we did a, we did the first kind of, uh, Kind of ethnographic research about some insurance product, a new product, and then we organized session on insights, what we learned from these sessions. And I organized kind of what I call the town hall session yeah. in the organization. And we had a room of 300 people can sit there. And we had a seven or eight people who were presenting. And actually only for first session, only four people turned up. And and then my guys were asking me, saying, "Well, look at this. There's many more people than actually uh, who are presenting the people who are in audience." And it's what we are going to do. I said, "We present. Even four people, we present." And then when we present to these four people, the next session we had a probably twenty 
to cut, cut long story short, after several iterations, when we, we weren't actually going around the organization and presenting, we had a pe people couldn't fit in the room. That's how people become interested in this. And that's what I'm saying. You, you have these naysayers converting in some way that they will yeah. kind of fill seaters, and then you can get people with you. And then it was kind of the biggest outcome for me would be after the session when people came to me and said, I now understand what actually customer-centric organization means. Okay. And that's kind of, and that's what you want here. Aligning on the definition is one of the things, like what is it we mean by what we're talking about? Because one of the things that I kind of curse are the English language for is design is interpreted into many different things and aligning on the fact that it's not just about making it look good or, you know, having a nice big shiny logo that animates into something that's actually really functional and delivers for both the business and the person using the product or service. That's a big thing for an organization to get through. Now I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit more around because in the research for this, um, I know you developed a tool um, that you did when you were at AMP. And I'd heard about it. I think you mentioned this to me when we had coffee. So it's it's been around for, I don't know, a while. Uh, I think you call it Assess, which is a great yeah. name for, for, for a tool. But tell me how it came about and tell us a little bit more around how it works and operates and what value it can bring to an organization. Look, before I start, doing it, I have to give a credit to my friends from Luma Institute and especially okay. the guy who was the CEO, uh, Chris Pacioni, um, who was, um, he and I really partnered well, uh, even if he was on the other part of the continent in the US, in Pittsburgh, I was in Sydney, but we really kind of worked well in kind of bringing this kind of, uh, kind of corporate design in, into really? kind of very established organization that have a very traditional way of delivering right. things. So, and then, and then his team was spending some time uh, doing some research and we captured some, uh, some uh, articles from um, Sloan Management Review and Harvard Business Review and uh, some others. So the mix of theoretical and managerial articles. And then there are a lot of these cultural assessment of innovation and things like that. And we started actually, they built the first cut and now continue building that at AMP. And what we did because we introduced this kind of training called HCD Practitioner Program, and we wanted actually people to go through this program. And we, we kind of managed to train around 1,500 people. Uh, wow, it was really nice. huge. And then not actually by the leaders selecting people, then we actually had a website where people can nominate themselves to go into this program. And then if okay. they have a, approval from leaders, they will come in and we will go through this. And then what happened actually when we did this, we were trying to assess the leadership. So how people see that. And before we started with the training, we asked people to fill in the survey and tell us their own perception of what is design innovation at AMP. And we, we were surprised that we got a very high score for many aspects, which I personally being there knew that it probably is not realistic. But anyway, so that was the perception. And then what we usually say perception is our people's perception is our reality. But when people went through the course and program of what we designed for them, and we actually asked them again six months later to do the same thing, the results were much lower. And then when, yeah. we, when we investigated, when people say, well, what happened here? They said, well, we actually thought 
that's the kind of what we have. But when we actually understood what is that that we needed to have, we have realized that it is not actually up to the scale. Yeah. But then we and then we we started actually building that across the organization, and that mm-hmm. was kind of. And then what I did, I was then I worked on that more and modified with my team at Wave Design. We further consult literature, and then I was I was starting building this entrepreneurship course at university, and for that purposes uh, we build this what we call that Wave Assess, and what yeah. we do with that kind of program, we just. We, we don't actually, it's kind of free. People can go to our website and take this wave assess uh, kind of um, survey, which is very good, actually, in the way that when you finish the survey, when you go through the process and assess yourself, you will get a med- email immediately saying, this is what, what the kind of our assessment or system is actually uh, positioning yeah. your uh, level of um, uh, progress in innovation and design in your organization, So, which is very cool. But what we do, uh, we, we usually, when we go and talk to people, we go into to spend a little time with the in-depth interviews of leaders. And then we yeah. ask the same leaders to go through this questionnaire and we look at that from two aspects, like what people told us and what people think through the survey. And what, what actually, to our surprise, we found that very often they are different. And uh, what, people, what we learn from people deeper and then they're kind of processing things is different from, from their assessment. And there is tendency that people would probably point, paint better picture when mm. they go through the survey as opposed to when we talk to them in detail. And it could be also clarifying some terms because this yeah, ass- the ass- assess tool is actually, in some ways, could be technical and people don't understand that. So let me understand that a little bit more. Is that a case of what the, the belief systems that the leaders have versus their actual reality of the skills that they have at hand is is that a defensive measure do you think what's causing that like where is that disconnect is that just a human um, yeah. condition it's human nature human it's, it's human nature and then um people have a tendency to uh, when you go through self-assessment people have a tendency mm-hmm. uh, to be biased biased and with human nature that we are biased yeah. ourselves but when you talk about these things and that's the value of going in a deeper discussion uh, mm. with, with the leaders and then um then there you can hear a lot of stories and you can hear especially like you know confidential discussions like you know we because we never actually present this as you can understand we never present it as individuals views mm. we always look at that in aggregate way but it yeah. was quite quite interesting, actually. Some leaders, when we come with the aggregate views uh, with, uh, of, with insights, then some leaders say, "I would like to know who said that." No, we can't because it's not. It's kind of our own kind of interpretation what we heard. But mm-hmm. I think it's kind of very good exercise, and then yeah. we call that alignment, and it's kind of critically important uh, be, because very often, and when I talk about this, very often. People left the meeting uh, thinking we we know who is doing what, and um, a week later we, we came back to a meeting and we realized that people interpreted uh, what we concluded in a meeting in different ways, and that yeah. is where this connects started. And then coming back to your question, what is actually what was my motivation to drive this entrepreneurship? But this is exactly that. So you need to uh, mm-hmm. you, you, just imagine you have a symphony orchestra. And then if, if violin is having another tune and then yeah. 
kind of piano has another tune. Nobody will listen there. So the question is, how you actually get your organization to act like a symphony orchestra? On that point, I remember trying an exercise out years ago, and I don't know who told me about it. It's not something that I came up with. But um, on that point of you're running these meetings and what did we agree on? You spend five minutes with a post-it to write down what did we agree on in a post-it and then you put them up on the wall and you see that there's a disconnect across the room and you kind of go, how has this happened? We've all agreed and we've all agreed on different things. So those kind of exercises of visualization of creating an alignment is something that's quite powerful. Do you have any understanding about um, other things that you can include to help with those alignment pieces? Because that this is the alignment piece is a huge opportunity for people who are in those situations, as I've addressed, that they, they can't move the dial. Um, you know, journey mapping, visualization, creating boundary objects, they're all great. But for the design maturity, I think the alignment is one of the most important places to start. Yeah. So I think... There are obviously many approaches how yeah. to do that stuff. But I think one of the methods we use is very much about problem framing. And, um, and we, we apply, we, we actually go into kind of explaining the context of problem framing. Yeah. Like why do you need to frame this problem? And yeah. one of the biggest kind of out, outcome of problem framing is to get aligned. Because once yeah. you get a bit one problem started or statement started, means that uh, there is everybody should be on that page and then and then on top of that we don't insist that we spend hundreds of days of, of going around and the tendency could be in corporate world people will have endless this discussion what's the problem but we don't yeah. actually put on that and we what we're saying let's actually f- uh, focus on one statement started and then talk to people who experience that problem and yeah. then see if we are right, and I can tell you, ninety percent of cases we we probably it doesn't happen. Framing the problem, and I, I used to think in my naivety it was just like people being obnoxious and kind of going, well, "I'm going to do my own thing." Like you know, I think it's an unintended situation that people they assume the right thing. They assume we've all agreed. Okay, we're all nodding. They're all nodding. That's that's an acceptance. But until we get to that point of saying, "Okay, this is what we're talking about. This is what we've agreed on." And that's, I know Adam Lawrence and Marcus Hormes, who I've worked with for years, that whole prototyping thing of getting something in the hands that we've created, co-created together and saying, okay, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. is very, very powerful. Yeah. And there is another trick that I used. Um, you know, sometimes you have a tough people and they would say leaders and they would say, well, we, I know what the problem is. Or I have a solution. Yeah. I don't, I'm not focused on, on problems. Yeah. And then what, what I usually do in this situation, I would say, okay, fine. So we, we can see that we can't go, we can't move on some other stuff. So how about I, I, I kind of put my visual designer and then mm-hmm. the visual designer will actually visually present what you say that solution is. Fantastic. And if visual designer can actually draw the picture of, of your solution, means mm-hmm. that we can take this and then we can go and put a, some sort of, very kind of low fidelity prototype and then go and test it. Yeah. And then it was good hook. And they said, okay, I got it. And I like the idea. 
And then when they start actually interpreting what the solution is and designers saying, where would I go with this one? And I said, mm, not sure. And not then sure. what would I do? You with figure this? it out. Not You're sure. the designer. <laughs> What's yeah. yeah. And then, 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 and then people would say, oh, I got it now. Let's go back to drawing board. And then let's actually go to the problem framing at the time. So yeah. sometimes, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, put in this way. I, when I was actually uh, put embedding this design innovation function in corporate world in Australia, I spent a lot of time in the U.S. learning from people who already done it. And I, yeah. I know, one, one, of, one of the people that they've done it really well was Procter & Gamble. And I, I, I had a lot of discussions and the time with Claudia Kochka. Uh, and that she was she was at the, she, uh, appointed by A.G. Luffley, who was CEO of uh, Procter & Gamble at the time, at probably 2001, 2002. And mm. her message was, so your role as design lead leader is actually to make sure that you clear the way and yeah. that people understand in the organization, they understand the value of design. And then you put designers in and you try to protect them from, because there are a lot of kind of, unknown things for designers and for people who are dealing with them. And there's not a kind of intentional tension. Yeah. It is tension because like, you know, misunderstanding. And that was my, and I actually put myself into that. I was really uh, kind of uh, thankful for this guidance she gave me. So these things like, you know, and I, I just, my kind of mission was strategically to think, how can I onboard the organization with it? And then yeah. create the channel for designers to walk in. It's not as it's not like an, oh let's actually stop. I got a money. I will establish design team, and that's it. We're done. No, so there's yeah. massive work in actually in kind of going through the broad organization. And very often, you what I found when I go into companies now, I found that actually that a lot of design teams are just doing design for themselves. And then when mm -hmm. I ask questions, so how much you have been engaging with the business? They say, but they don't want to talk to us. And it's kind of, it's not a way you want actually first designers that don't like that environment, but the companies mm. are thinking, well, design is not giving me any benefit. Yeah. But it is not actually a kind of holistic view how you position design in the organization. One of the pieces that I really liked there was the framing piece from leadership. When they get to that point of saying, okay, we're, we're going to establish the function of design. That typically means, and a big broad brush here of generalization happening, that they're going to install a team of designers into the organization. So that's option one. The other one that we're kind of talking about on this podcast and also with what you're doing as well, Wave Design, is kind of developing the culture of entrepreneurship within organizations, which kind of means we don't want to be creating another silo within an organization of more designers and Within that, you've got UXers and researchers and service designers, and you get all, all into these kind of compartments and within organization. How do you um, explain to executives and leaders that it's option two that we need to be fostering and not option one of just building a team and having the head of design and making them do pretty pictures? Because that kind of reinforces that stereotype of design is here to make things pretty. Yeah. It's a very good question, actually. And, uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> but this is kind of a vital question. So Very so, one. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, um, because I've been in, in kind of corporate world for many years, and I was navigating this kind of function. And then I was 
sitting in the steering, sorry, in the investment committees, approving business cases, um, and I was actually chairing well, the investment committee for one of the retail banks uh, because I was head of strategy and growth strategy and things like. That. Yeah. So what, what I what I found actually, and we call this, when we actually have a business case, and this is how I explain to leaders, when we have a business case, we approve that, and the, interestingly enough, you will not get a business case in front of the investment committee without. I have certain numbers that are hitting numbers, like, you know, return on investment, 15% break even uh, after one or two years. Um, then you have, you have all of these kind of ingredients, you see, tick, tick yeah. market share growing, this and all that. But what happened, actually, we have a lot of unvalidated assumptions, and we actually put a lot of faith into uh, these assumptions, believing that we will they will deliver outcomes. And it's, we actually take leap of faith that if people will deliver this outcomes and yeah. we know that things are not working in that way so as, as soon as you start hitting this kind of implementation you start actually think oh my goodness we don't know this we don't never we haven't done this and things like that and then mm -hmm. it was i was there is a kind of nice quote from uh, people are using this quote from guy kawasaki and saying uh, ideas are easy the implementation is hard and then my view is implementation is hard because we treat ideas easy we need mm. to spend much more time and energy actually fleshing out these ideas. And this is coming to the concept, what we call that leaps of logic. And where this is where design came in place. Leaps of logic means we are creating small leaps. And when we get a kind of, we validate assumptions, we go next leap, we validate assumptions, next leap. We, as we progressing that, we validate many assumptions to the point where we, where after several, several uh, prototype testing, a minimal viable product, you get a very high level of confidence that what mm. uh, these assumptions are proven and you walk in very strong and saying, now I can tell you, we know that, that there, there is a desirability here. There is absolutely feasibility and there's so much of cost and viability is there as well. So, and this is, and I love, when, when I talk about this, I love kind of talking to chief risk officers because chief risk officers are very important kind of aspect in decision-making process. Because if, they, if there is something unknown, people will immediately interpret it, oh, it's too risky. And then as soon as they interpret it's too risky, then better kind of, kind of push back and then don't do that. So yeah. with this one, what we are saying, we are with a, with a human-centered design, we are de-risking yeah. funding. Because we, 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 we had a much higher confidence what we are yeah. going to build. We had a one client which uh, was um, a, a, a global farmer company, and we helped them to actually create new um, events management system. They have a lot of interaction with medical practitioners here in Australia. Mm -hmm. And then we went through these leaps of logic, and then we end up kind of everything there. And then he called me after the investment committee meeting, and he said, I never experienced in my career that we approved investment, a business case in 15 minutes. Because it was so clear, then we had a clear uh, assumptions, all assumptions were tested. We have, we have a very clear requirements defined based on this tested assumptions, we are going into production. And so, and that's kind of the value of human-centered design, when you're unpacking that to the level that, for example, you start with problem framing, this is one leap, and then you, you probably, don't agree with this, but then you go in next leap, which is actually going to talk to people who are experiencing that problem. And you go next leap, like, you know, you're creating insights. In next leap, you go to talk to uh, ideation and then 
frame the ideas. You go next and test this idea. And many, many things there that you get, get much more confident. And then usually I got a question and say, well, it sounds like a long process. And it, it, it is at the beginning, like, you know, it's not long, but it can be, it, could, it can go fast if, if we have a support from the organization. But yeah. every time you go this, you, you're actually going shorter and shorter. And for example, one of my KPIs when I was in corporate world was how, well, what's the time frame that we come with the, with the prototype and minimal viable product. Sure. And then we, you see here, for example, when we started, it took us six months to get a minimal viable product. And as we, as we practice this more, we ended up like uh, having three or four months. And then people have a prototype, like in a prototype where every, how many prototypes you have. It's not a question how many ideas you have. The question was how many prototypes you have, how many of them you mm-hmm. tested. And you walk in the investment committee with the prototype in your hand, even if it's kind of a paper prototype, but people can understand what is that and what you tested and what are the assumptions that you tested. Yeah, it's, it's the, 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 the bit that kind of I'm hanging on a little bit more is this idea um, factory piece that organizations tend to gravitate towards. When you're speaking, I, I, I get it. I totally am I'm on, on the same page. But when organizations tend to adopt this, they kind of think of it as, okay, we're going to, the, the winning idea is going to come out of this. And I'm of the mindset that ideas can slow things down, fix the service first, fix things, make it functional, make it actual meet the needs. Because if you don't do that, and you're adding ideas to the processes. It takes them away, detracts from the actual functionality of the, the core service. What are your thoughts on this? And is that something that you can actually speak more about? Because I know ideas are great, validating them, de-risking them, getting them, uh, you know, kind of funded, getting another business model for them to, to be iterated on and so forth. But what does it look like in terms of making that the core service is functional first? Well, put in this way, we jumping too quickly into ideas. Okay. So uh, companies are like, you know, they just, they're, well, put in this way. So I would just continue with the story about investment and leap of faith. So we, and then we had up, uh, uh, we hit the wall. We can't do this stuff. Or, or even if we do this, it's not working. And yeah. we delivered it on time and budget, but we didn't actually move the dial. And then yeah. what's, this is what I call this a nice landing wrong airport. So we, we really delivered yeah, it. <laughs> I'm going to nick that one. That's going straight into a deck. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, we, we are proud of what we delivered, but we're actually do, not moving dial. And then what yeah. do we do in that situation? We say, oh, let's actually brainstorm uh, to see how we can resolve that situation. And then we actually yeah. brainstorm and potentially we exaggerate the problem because we actually, most likely we were focusing on wrong problem. And then what, what is actually important to start with is actually from the problem. It's not a service. Service could be a problem. Product could be a problem. Experience could be a problem. Whatever problem you have and you feel that is the problem, this is where you start. And then mm. if you want to go in ideation, you need to be very, well informed because, and then people need to be, they need, people need to get a learnings from that particular problem and they need sure. to be inspired. You know, this is kind of, Massive exercise to um, yeah. if you want to detach people from their current situation and gather ideas. 
So if you if you're thinking like, okay, let's have a two hours workshop and hey guys, come here, let's do ideation. Do you think that people will be able to actually detach themselves no. from their current situation? There is no way. What we need to do, and we spend a lot of time warming up people, and you spend a lot of time stimulating, giving examples. And there is a, this we call this uh, uh, six path analysis, blue ocean model. I really love this six path. Like, you know, look at the uh, kind of uh, from outside your industry. Look at the strategic positioning. Look at the history. Mm -hmm. And then all of these things, you go in there and start actually getting examples and people start immersing themselves. And you suddenly say, hey, this is our problem. Let's actually talk about it. And then you suddenly start getting a lot of interesting uh, conclusions and inspiring ideas based mm -hmm. on that. So and that's the kind of people don't understand. Like, you know, I, 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 just, I just collect the ideas. It doesn't work like that. You, you know, this, this is not actually useful. It's not productive at all. I think anyone who's listening to the, the podcast, you know, will be able to say like, it's, it's awesome to hear you speak about this stuff and the confidence that you have around the, the delivery and the understanding. And I was scrolling through there. I was trying to say, okay, well, how, how would you describe yourself um, in the current world? And on, where maybe go back a little bit further, like, well, what did you study and stuff? Because, it's this piece that um, a lot of change makers seem to struggle with is the, is the confidence piece to speak up, to champion the, the belief system and the, the frameworks to help move the dial. But when you're sp speaking, it's, it's with, you know, vigor and it's with confidence and I love it. How did you foster that? Have you naturally been a great orator? <laughs> so look, I think, um, I was, I was very, I'm, I'm a very curious person and I was really, um, I have, um, I'm open-minded and I have a growth mm. mindset and, um, constantly thinking about new challenges. Um, and, and then something new. So, and yeah. sometimes I'm ahead of my time and sometimes I kind of, kind of, sometimes people look at you and say, what this guy, this guy is dreaming. You give me, I'll give you an anecdote, like, you know, really, really yeah. short one. When I was doing my PhD, I was doing the e-commerce. You and I discussed that earlier. Yeah. And back in '97, um, we we had a we have two daughters, and at that, that, that time they were ten and eight or something like that, and and um, even younger. And then I remember my wife got in in in, in a mailbox saying like, you know, a great offer for uh, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, and you oh, yeah. buy these, you know, big books and things like that. And she was yeah, coming to me and she said, well, this is in a lifetime uh, kind of uh, opportunity to buy these, but it's going to be a Britannica for our, I said, why do you need it? But for our kids that they can start actually growing up with this kind of incomplete. And I was telling her because I was doing e-commerce and in 97, I was telling her, our kids will not actually read uh, anything from Britannica. It's Britannica. Britannica. And she was mm -hmm. angry at me. She was like saying, you know, how can you do that? We need to have that. And I said, but they will never do it. Because they will go through online environment, they will learn from that, and this is what happened. And, and then five or six years later, when they actually going through that, and they went through the process, she was. I mean, she admitted, and she said, "Really, I really uh, admit that you were right." But it was five or six years ago, and at that time, yeah. she didn't understand the positioning that I was trying to say. But the point I want to make is that I've been mm -hmm. always in this kind of uh, innovation world and in thinking, how can we? I kind of make things stronger. 
But one one thing I, I usually uh, when I when I design this entrepreneurship course, and then obviously people are kind of yeah. contributing direct theory of entrepreneurship, and one of the principles that people introduce is you need to be ready. That all comes across when you're when you're speaking. But what advice do you have to people who maybe don't feel that way and want to uh, increase their chances of success? Yeah. So like I think. And what, this is what we practice with our yeah. designers. So, uh, well, designers are great and creative people, but mm -hmm. they, they, sometimes they had a hard time navigating through the organization. So, yeah. in, in my what we actually practice this, uh, we, we 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 work with leadership uh, framing the problem, and very yeah. next stage is actually go through a stakeholder prioritization and a stakeholder engagement plan, and we 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 spend a lot of time. Uh, building that kind of tool, um, and when we walk, we, we spend some time with uh, leaders in the organization, and then we do some prioritization, and we have some certain methods and tools how we do that. But the most important is that how you build in, an engagement plan, and then when, when designers work, and they are great in doing that, they have a fantastic. And then you they have a they, when they have that tool, when they have that kind of guidance, what to do, they are excellent. And if you tell them you need to do this and this, you need to engage this, this kind of group of the, uh, stakeholders because they, under, they need to understand this, they will do it. Yeah. And this is very, this is very often we jump on uh, kind of over that and then mm -hmm. we jump into immediately, let's do the research, let's do the uh, insights and things like that. But it's extremely important to have that, not to forget that step. And the second thing um, I also want to say, and this is again what we practice, it is important that designers provide the context. Yeah. Whatever they do, not assume that people are familiar with it. Mm -hmm. So even if you say, let's do an ideation, it, need, it requires why we're doing it. Uh, what's yeah. the purpose of that? So, and what we want to achieve with this, how, how we actually detach people from the current environment, how we stimulate you. And then all yeah. of these things they need to say, because... If you just go and say, let's do brainstorming, and I will tell you, put in the five groups, and we start actually think about you are Elon Musk, and then it's not people. No, that yeah. doesn't work. And this is kind of that what we need to make sure that we provide. And then people will start to appreciate that. Yeah. And I can see that firsthand with our designers when they provide the context and explaining to people how it works, people mm -hmm. are very keen to cooperate. Yeah. Munib, we're coming towards the end of the episode. I just want to ask one last question. What, what's your hope for the next 15, 20 years for Wave and for yourself? Okay, like in terms of human-centered design, we're about to, I think we're at the, the start of, of the crest of a wave that's going to probably envelop the industry in the next six to 12 months with AI and a lot more challenges. What's your hope? And what's your, your, your one wish that we, we can get better at as a practice? So, look, you see, I, my, our vision is wave design to be, yeah. continue to be boutique design yeah. innovation company, which actually will work very closely in collaboration with the organization. And we, yeah. we really believe in this the kind of notion that we need to help organizations to build internal capabilities. Sure. While we, while we are delivering outcomes, it's kind of very yeah. important. While we're delivering outcomes, 
we build the capabilities by involving a lot of people working with us and things like that. That's number one. Number two, I want actually to have a, a we, 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 we do have that in our kind of strategy and vision. We want to have a very capable designers who are really people who will be recognized um, in kind of in, in industries, uh, cross industries in Australia. We, yeah. we don't have inter- kind of any kind of ambition to go broader than Australia. And that we will be very happy to be here and deliver the out, great outcomes for Australian companies. Yeah. So, and, and the, the, I want to actually design this. And you probably, I'm not sure if you follow, uh, you can see more, more and more designers from Wave Design posting some uh, stories on LinkedIn. And we I encourage our designers to write case studies. We actually yeah, spend a lot of it, put a lot of attention in writing case studies. It's not like, it's not a, commercial material or a marketing material, which is like we want actually to present what we really feel about it. Yeah, yeah it's a great design. skill to have to be able to summarize your perspective on the effort to create something and putting yes. in our portfolio. And we are driven by outcomes and then an impact that we create. And what I want actually to see us also more involved in them kind of non-for-profits and helping especially uh, people in the disabled communities. And we're already working with people in healthcare, community healthcare yeah. and things like that. There's a lot of interesting things with co-design and things like that. So and right. we, we, don't, we don't want to be a massive company. We just want to be a company with nice harmony internally with the highly uh, kind of skilled and uh, knowledgeable people working together and uh, having fun and delivering great outcomes and impact for the Utah awesome. clients. Munib, listen, look, I, I wrap every episode up with thanking the guests for allowing me to put them on the spot and ask questions and go left and go right and go backwards and go forward. So I appreciate you giving me your time. I know it's dinner time and in your households, you're probably hungry, but thanks for giving me your time and your vulnerability. I really, really appreciate it. If people want to reach out to you, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes, is there, and maybe the website as well for Wave. Yeah. Um, and anything else you want to include in there? Just let me know. We'll throw a link into it. It's all good, and they will. They, if they're interested, they can find they these. Find so to, in today's world, it's very easy to find people. If you want. Yeah, absolutely. But I also yeah. want to say, Jerry, that the way how you approach this is excellent. And I think what 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 I was talking earlier is how you actually uh, kind of uh, kind of building awareness about design is exactly what you're doing. And yeah, we you. probably entire design community in Australia and globally should encourage actually people to listen. Your program because what I, what you are doing now I, I had a, I had to go to the US or Europe and actually listen to these stories from people that, that they would tell me and I learned from them when I was building things in in, in my organization and it's now yeah. much better that we have a people from all around the world giving different stories just absolutely and well done for that I really oh, thank appreciate you. it I appreciate that Mirab stay in touch. Mm-hmm.